thank you because you're faithful to us. And like we just sang, your love endures forever. And we thank you for that. And it's not just a, a line that we say. It's not just a, a verse that we quote. It's fact. It's true. And we thank you because your mercies are new every morning and that you're faithful and you're steadfast. And Father, I ask that you continue to shape us as a church, continue to show us who we're supposed to be, continue to release your identity to us, who, we, who you called us to be, who we're emerging into, Lord. Father, I ask that you'd speak to our hearts tonight um, and help us to receive what we need to hear. Amen. This is number 15. Let's number, we're just going to see how far we can go with this topic, right? We're going to ex expand on it and expand on it. <clears throat> um, tonight, we're going to talk about uh, pursuing transformation and what that means and what that looks like. And uh, so if you want to read with me that first scripture there, Matthew 6, 9, and 10, let me know what this is called, the Lord's Prayer. This is, hey, they're like, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray and to be like you. And he's like, okay, this is how you're supposed to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I can't ever go past that scripture without reminding us of that. those first two words there was a dynamic shift in the way they had known God. They had always known God as Jehovah, as the God they wouldn't even write his name because he was so holy and so scary. And now that Jesus is saying, uh, by the way, guys, from here on out, he's your father. Oh. It totally transformed man's relationship with God completely. It gave us the right to understand him and know him as daddy. And just simple, two little words shook everything. And it's totally changed from that day till now how man can commune and fellowship with God. He wants to be our father. He doesn't just want to be a God in heaven with lightning bolts in hand, ready to punish wickedness and sin. He wants to be close to man. He wants to be a friend to man. He wants to be the perfect father. And so um, he's teaching them this. He's, and then he says, and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, he gave us the, the right to ask him, send your kingdom to earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make earth look like what it looks like where you're at, God. And he told them to pray that way. And then there's another scripture I want to read that goes for tonight. It's Isaiah 2, verse 2. <clears throat> it says, now, now it shall come to pass in the latter days, or the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Oh, y'all read that with me. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established at the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now, if that doesn't wreck end time thinking and theology, then I don't know what does um, because the Lord is going to draw people to himself. He's going to draw all men unto him. All nations. Now, we still have a choice. We can choose whether or not we say yes to him. But he is going to draw people to him. And he's going to make it pretty hard to say no. He's really that good. And we're in, those, we're in that time where he's being lifted up. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about the seven mountains. We, we barely grazed this topic before. But tonight I want to get into it pretty in depth. 
Um, so what are the seven mountains? Um, they are the seven culture-shaping culture influences in society. They are the seven things that shape culture more than anything else in society. They are presently controlled by a very small percentage of the population. It's just kind of strange. Um, I, I remember uh, years ago the Lord told me 1% can tip the scale. It just takes 1%. It just takes a few people um, to just get a hold of what God wants to shift things. Well, well, as it is right now, these seven mountains um, are not completely under the rule of kingdom people. And it's a very small amount of people that are shaping the world's cultures, shaping the, the anti-Christ, anti-God society. And it's just a few people doing it. And it's not like this majority thing. It's a few people. We, we live in a democracy, right? And we think that in democracy, majority rules. How many believe that that's true? How many of you think that the majority is ruling in America right now? I mean, if you just look at it and say, what, I mean, just take the debt ceiling topic real quick. 68 or so percent, 69, 70 percent of America says, don't raise it. Yet there's the 20-something percent in America that say raise it, but the politicians are wanting to raise it, both sides. It doesn't matter, Republican, it doesn't matter. They want to raise the debt ceiling, right? Which means we're going to be able to spend more and put more debt on our children, right? When democracy is supposed to be the, what the majority says rules. So it's, we're, in a, <laughs> we're in a system where a few people pull the cards, pull, pull and, and affect things. And so tonight I want to talk about these seven mountains. The first one is arts and entertainment. <clears throat> this attempts to establish what is culturally, culturally acceptable, right? Then you've got the business uh, mountain. It's influenced by greed and thirst for power. You've got the education mountain. You've got the family mountain. <clears throat> You've got government. You have media. For example, th this is true research right here. This is a fact. Presently, the media mountain is controlled by less than 100 people. The, the media of America is controlled by less than 100 people. There's, there's 100 powerful people that are controlling what comes across the airwaves. Pretty, pretty crazy if you think about it. Three out of four news outlets are completely opposite of God. They're liberal. Only one out of four, and you can figure out which one or which three, however you want to do it, only one out of four considers himself conservative or considers himself to have Christian values, right? Media, scary stuff. Then you've got religion, the religious mountain. Um, I put this chart in here that we got from a guy named Oz Hillman who really did a lot of this research. Um, and so uh, we've got the mountains listed down on the side. And then we've got the enemies who are on the mountain. We've got a principality who rules over the mountain. Then we've got people that have the authority to displace um, uh, these people, and then there's the basic mission. I just want to go down through this because I want our church to begin to think of how to pray and be strategic over these things. You got arts and entertainment. The enemy is compromise. It's like continue to move the line, continue to move the line, continue to move the line, right? I think Cal preached about it a couple weeks ago. Just continue to shift the line. Well, the line used to be here, but let's let's make it gray where we can't see it anymore. Now, oh, we're way past it. Well, let's pretend to put another line down in gray. And we put, and so all of a sudden we're way over here when we started. Okay, you know, and that's what ha is happening in arts and entertainment right now. Um, the 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 principality or the main spirit that has authority in this realm, um, we would uh, call it Jezebel, or it's a seductive spirit, right? <clears throat> the the um, the authority that has the, the 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 
the person, the office that has the most authority to displace this thing is are the prophets. And how many knows that we all can, can become prophetic and we can all hear from God and we can pray through intercession and be prophetic people. So it's not just talking about, you know, an Elijah or a famous prophet that we hear on TV. It's saying the people will rise up and hear what God is saying and say what God is saying. <clears throat> so our basic mission in this mountain is to model greater create, creative arts of God and prophesy through them. So we've been talking about we want to have a new, a new art renaissance and a music renaissance in the church where we write the coolest music, where we have the most awesome artists in our church, and we use our platform of great music and great art and great dance and great whatever poetry, and we use that platform to prophesy godly things over our country rather than let's continue to move the line towards anti-God stuff. And it's taking back the mountain. And if you... If you uh, this is happening right now in Hollywood. There are thousands of people that are getting saved in Hollywood, and some of them aren't even telling right now publicly that they've had a conversion because they're afraid that they'll be blackballed, which is literally what, once they find out there's a conservative, then they won't give them movies, but they've, they've turned their hearts to the Lord, and they're thinking of ways, and they're even creating new, new, uh, new uh, movie studios and new uh, record labels and stuff so that they can influence American culture with the godly principles, and they're doing it covertly, which is pretty cool. Um, Justin Bieber's mom went to an amazing church not too long ago, I know for a fact, and says, pray that my son doesn't ever walk away from the Lord. So there's some, some secret relationship with Jesus. Justin Bieber has it, isn't this big public thing right now. You're like, oh, cool. Um, he hasn't totally figured out that he can use his voice yet, we're going to keep praying for him, right? His mom is going to this church saying, please just pray over my son. God's given him anointing for this. Let's, um, so there are people, and, and there are other, other famous people. There are famous snowboarders and X-game people that have created um, nonprofit organizations that are going in and preaching the gospel and gold medalist uh, snowboarders. I mean, there's some famous people stepping up to the plate, and uh, it's happening, and you don't hear a lot about it um, because they know that they're being wise right now. And they're, they're infiltrating the system, right? So I wanted to give a testimony on that. And then you've got the business mountain. <clears throat> the main enemy there is well, obviously the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? <clears throat> the principality would be greed or the love of mammon, which is the opposite of loving God and, and, and trusting in the Lord. The ability to displace them again comes from the prophetic um, and what our mission is, is to discover what true wealth is. <laughs> Jesus said, if you can be trusted with, with worldly wealth, then I will trust you with true riches. So what we need is for, for businessmen to begin to understand what true riches is and what it means to really be wealthy and to leave legacy. And we need these kingdom businessmen to start having this practical um, systems put in place over their, over their businesses. And it is happening right now. Many of the Fortune 500 companies, as we speak, I, I could go in there and pull a bunch of data and stuff off this website I was looking at. Many of them are kingdom-based people, and they use kingdom principles in their business, and that's why they turned overnight, they turned into Fortune 500 companies. God's giving them business wisdom according to Scripture, according to the way God does things, and he's shifting the business realm, all right? There's a, there's a big shift taking place. Education. The enemy there is secular humanism, and what that literally means. How many remember a couple weeks ago when we did the spiritual mapping? And uh, secular humanism is just trying to completely remove God from everything. 
Um, we can get better as humans without God. We can have self-help. We can have counseling. We can have programs. We can do all these things, and we can get better. We don't need God. And they're trying to put that into the education system. The uh, principality or the person that the spirit that's really controlling this is Beelzebub, which is the Lord of Flies or, or the Lord of Lies. <clears throat> and the, the, the people that have the ability to, to replace that spirit are teachers. And what we need to do is bring back um, new fear of God-based teaching. And that is happening as well. All of these things are being infiltrated. There are major ministries that devote themselves to infiltrate the seven mountains. They literally train people in, there are kingdom business schools. There are kingdom teaching schools that are training educators to go into the school systems. I know of a testimony from, from Bethel that there was someone that had gone through their school that God gave them a creative um, idea and ability to, to minister to and to teach children that had Down syndrome. It was one of those symptoms like that. It was that or autism. And they were so successful at it. The, the, the schools around there were saying, please come in and tell us what you're doing. And it was a completely Christian-based philosophy, com completely Christian-based um, idea from God. And so, they, look, in a room full of problems, I heard Chris Ballatin say this, and I, I love it. If you're in a room with people and everyone's talking about all the problems, the person that comes up with the solution automatically becomes the leader in the room. Right? I mean, if this place suddenly filled up with s ridiculous, poisonous snakes, and we're all like, oh, my God. There are poisonous snakes everywhere. What are we going to do? The person that gives us the fastest, quickest way out is the person we're going to say, hey, we're going to follow. They are the leader. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if we even know them, right? They're the leader. They have the answers. And that's what's happening right now. Kingdom people are getting the answers to the problems in society, and God is going to allow them to become the leaders. Amen? Then you've got the family. <clears throat> family mountain. The enemy there is rejection and unforgiveness. The principality is Baal, which is perversion. And for some reason, we say that word, and everyone automatically thinks of sexual perversion. Thinks of, perversion literally means the wrong version, when things are not the way they're supposed to be. And, and you look at the family, it's under assault right now. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're telling our kids that you can have two mommies and two daddies. We're telling our kids, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> what's her name? Whoopi Goldberg goes on The View and, and, and goes on a rant yesterday about, Oh, come on. You, you don't need two parents in society. This is ridiculous. Stop talking about this, you know, Make, making fun of Michelle Bachman, talking about family needs to be whole and healthy. And, and so you, you don't need two parents. Hey, if you ask a kid who was raised in a home without a mom or a dad, if they wish that their parents were home, what would every kid tell you? I wish mommy and daddy were there. I really do. And then we get older, we tell, hey, don't worry, you don't need both. Yeah, we do. And so the family is under this assault. Um, and then if that's not enough, then you've got all the pleasures of life, uh, the things that we can do, the vacations and the things that we can own and the, this and that. And all it does is it pulls us away from being connected and being right in family and with God. And it's all an assault on the family, right? Well, the Lord is shifting that. God is raising up a movement in, our, in, in America um, where it's coming back to bringing families, making them healthy and whole. That's one of the things that God's talking to us as a church about, is making our families healthy and whole. Um, I can just really go off on some, some things the Lord's been t telling me for us to do as a church, for, for families, family life programs and things we're about to get into. I hadn't even talked to our family life pastors about it yet. Um, but this is, what, this is where we're going. We want to make families healthy and whole. And um, so God's doing something here, right? 
um, the pastors are the ones that can bring authority to this and, and fix this problem because pastors will shepherd, will lead and guide. Then you've got, um, we want to impact social systems so that the family unit is prioritized. And the other thing we need to do, and these are things that will help us know what to pray. That's why I printed this out. We need to pray that God will send the spirit of Elijah. Because it says in the last days, Malachi says he would send the spirit of Elijah and he would call the hearts of the fathers to the children and he turned the hearts of the children back to the fathers. So, man, when that spirit of Elijah begins to break loose on, on our planet, families are going to come back into their rightful place. And instead of being the wrong version, God's going to bring it back into alignment. Holy Spirit is brooding over the earth again, and he's bringing things into alignment where they're supposed to be, where things function properly, right? Then you've got government. The enemy is corruption. Lucifer's the, the, the king of this mountain so far. He's, and pride and manipulation are involved. The apostles are there to displace them. And we need to pray that God will fill our government positions with humble servant leaders with integrity. There's a, there's a movement going on in politics now of people that are conservative people, that are godly people, and they're rising up and they're taking their voice. And, and you know, I, as, I don't like to, to get too far political, but there's a group right now that's trying to hijack one of our parties and make it conservative again, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I love the thought of people saying, you know what, enough is enough of this. We're, we can't say we're conservative and not be conservative. We can't say we believe godly principles and don't, don't believe in godly principles. We can't say we're pro-life and, and won't sign a waiver against abortion. We've got to stop this. And there's a voice that don't believe all the things you hear about the Tea Party movement from mainstream media. Research for yourself and listen to what they're saying. Listen to things that they're talking about. They're not messing around. They're saying, dude, God is holy. Family's holy. Let's be careful. Let's stop spending money. They're, they're, and, and so this is happening in government. So let's pray for these people that the uh, assaults that come against them will just be silenced and pray for the people that are in leadership that maybe their heart isn't towards God or towards family or to, towards conservative values, that God will turn their heart. Because I don't believe that there's any person on earth that's beyond fixing. I know if God can fix me, he can fix anybody. That's truth. Truth. God can fix me. I know that anybody can be fixed. That's what he does. <laughs> then you've got the media. We kind of talked about it a little bit. But enemy, the enemy there is bad news, constantly sending out bad news and lies. The spirit, the principality, you probably never even heard this word before, Apollyon. And is, the word means destroyer. And they're here to destroy and just wear, wear away, ebb away the values, ebb away the family, ebb away our belief systems and our conservative thoughts. And the prophets and the evangelists can fix this. And we're going to pray that God would fill the airwaves with good news and with testimonies. I know there's a, a ministry they're praying that someday they will have a newscast that all they do is get on there and re report the good news, the things that God is doing. And that becomes a newscast. And they literally get on there and just tell testimonies of what God's doing around the entire world. And that becomes the news instead of talking about all the bad that's happening. Then you've got religion. Uh, the enemy there is idolatry. The principality is a religious spirit or false worship, and the cure to that is Holy Spirit, period. We need to model a life of Holy Spirit. Um, we need to be encounter-centered rather than knowledge-centered. You know, um, I love this quote. I can't even remember who said it, but a person with an encounter is never at the mercy of someone with an argument. 
if you have an encounter, you are never at the mercy of someone who just has a theory. You can say all you want. You can show me pie charts. You can tell me why it's supposed to be. But if I experience it, it doesn't matter what you put on that board. It doesn't matter. How many knows that scientists have believed things for years and thought it to be true and have been able to postulate and prove it to be true, and then they get in the lab and they do an experiment, and all of a sudden they're like, wow, everything we believed was completely wrong about this. The atom is not the smallest thing in the world. It's not the smallest element there is. They're smaller than that. And so they create this superatomic collider that can break atoms into smaller pieces, and they begin to see these. Look, <laughs> experience always trumps arguments. But what we need to happen in the religious mountain is for people to begin to experience the power of God. Because when you experience him, you can't deny that he's real. You can't deny that he's still powerful. You can't deny that he can still heal. You've got people arguing, well, healing ended with the apostles. And then you've got people saying, well, the apostles are still around today. There are, there's apostles here. And you've got arguing, all this stuff going on. Well, you've got to pray this certain way. And if you don't pray that way, then you don't have this gift. And all this stuff's going on. And if all that would shut up when we start having an encounter. When God, God will come in and just wreck us all and say, hey, you all thought you had me figured out, right? But this is how I move. And so we need uh, that mountain to be transformed with encounters. Amen? Martin Luther said, a gospel that does not deal with the issues of the day is not the gospel at all. Did you guys hear that? That's pretty cool. The, a gospel that does not deal with the issues or the problems that are facing that society isn't even the gospel at all. Because the gospel was brought here to shift things, to, to change things, to make things better. It wasn't brought here to be this cute little come to church, protect your little family, and we'll just, you know, we'll leave it here in the church. The gospel is a, is a wrecking ball. It's supposed to just wreck society and turn worlds upside down, right? The original assignment that God gave man was what? It's on your paper, pretty easy, but dominion. He said to Adam, now I'm giving you dominion over everything you see here in this garden. It's yours. You have dominion over it. That's the original assignment. The assignment has not changed, guys. God still wants us to take authority and dominion on the planet Earth. We gave it away for a little while. Big brother Jesus came on the Earth, lived a beautiful, perfect, sinless life, dies on the cross. While he's on the cross, goes to the pit of hell, takes back the keys of death, hell, and the grave, takes back the dominion and authority that, that was supposed to be set aside for man that Satan stole from us. He takes it from strip Satan of all power and all authority, takes it for himself, and then he comes and he raises from the dead so that you and I can be raised from the dead. Then Jesus goes away so that the same spirit that lived in Jesus could live in us. So Jesus is sitting in heaven now and he says, hey, the same things that I did, you're going to do. And he says, why don't you come sit with me in heavenly places and I'll give you the, all power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And now, you know what? I'm going to hand it to you and tell you how to use it for, for the benefit of the kingdom. Remember our opening prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been given an assignment of dominion, which means to take back. We are not insignificant. We are not insignificant. We're not just a little church on the corner. You're not just a little Christian family in your big neighborhood. You're not. You are significant. You can shift the whole neighborhood by yourself. Do you know that? You by yourself, pursuing God, beginning to uh, uh, focus on Him and begin to release Him into the atmosphere can begin to shift things. And if you don't believe me, try it. Do a divine assignment. Start focusing on things about God, things that you know about God from your history. Start thinking about it. And say, God, I ask that my experience with you, I pray that you would help me to release that to the atmosphere. See what happens. 
Start practicing it in your house, in your neighborhood. See what happens around you. We have been given an assignment, and we are equipped to do it, and we're not insignificant. Amen? So real quick, let's go over a couple of reasons why dominion was lost. I, I feel like it's important for us to say this so we know how to get it back into these mountains. Number one, it was separation from God. We walked away from him. We hid in the garden. He didn't hide from us, right? Then there's the gospel of salvation that became prevalent instead of the gospel of the kingdom. There's a big, you're like, what's the difference? Gospel of salvation, gospel of the kingdom, sounds like the gospel. Very different because the, the, the purpose of each is really different. The gospel of salvation focuses on evangelism. Save one soul. Come on, save one person. You can do it. Save one person, which is a great thing. Yeah, save, start with one, right? But the gospel of kingdom is transformation is the goal. Not just one person, whole communities. Not just one community, whole cities. Not just a city, nations. You guys there? The gospel of salvation inadvertently caused the church to keep from engaging with the culture because we were told we're supposed to be separate. Don't hang around with unbelievers because if you hang around with them, you'll become like them. We started teaching that, you know what? The dark is still more powerful than light. I don't care. You, Jesus lives inside of you, but man, if you even come close to a sinner that cusses, you're going to start cussing. If you used to drink and you go around someone and they start drinking, you're just going to do it because Jesus is not as powerful as darkness. Totally crazy, right? Not true at all. I have a story of 10 cities right here. I don't, I don't even have time to jump into all this. 10 cities of transformation. Number one, Cali, Colombia, used to be the cocaine capital of the world. God has turned that city upside down. Absolutely. If you want to call, I'll, I will tell you where to go where you can find these, these stories. Um, for decades, it was the cocaine capital of the world. Right? In the mid-90s, the drug lord's icy grip was finally broken when a desperate believers surged into local, local soccer stadiums and held all-night prayer vigils. The, what happened from that was they began to observe God in the city of 2.8 million people. That's a big city. That's like Dallas. That's like bigger than just Dallas by itself. <clears throat> what was most important was the Christian effort in public education and health care. Visitors get a sense that this city has a revival from a pastor, uh, her name's Ruth, right? You just go there, and they continue to hold all-night prayer vigils, and it's turning the city upside down. There's, there are other ones. I, I, I think probably the craziest one out of all of them is the one I wrote on your paper. Let me do this one first. Manchester, Kentucky, USA. It can even happen in America. Did you know that? This was Clay County is where it is. It's a famous. Some of you will notice Remember hearing that? It's the, it's the place of the notorious family feuds that have happened. Remember the stories of Hatfields and the McCoys and all that? This is where this stuff was taking place. They claimed over 160 people in these family feuds. It has also been one of the poorest, most drug-addicted areas in the United States. But that's history now. In 2004, local believers gathered in a downtown park to say enough. They had an awakening, right? And it has re rearranged every aspect of this city's life. It once was known as the painkiller capital of America. It is now called, on their city limit sign, it says City of Hope. <laughs> no less than 46 states and five countries have contacted the city's faith-based rehab centers for answers. Unbelievable. That's in America. All right. Al Malonga, Guatemala. 
great story. You guys, you've probably heard of that one. You remember that? No? I was like, you, you had to have heard about it. This city, um, it's known as the Big Carrot community now. This place, um, there's a video on this. You can find it, Transformations video. I will buy it and we'll show it soon. But it was a town of, of idolatry and drunken brawlers. It is now bustling Christ-centered farming center with 85% of its 19,000 inhabitants claimed to be born again. The secular media, excuse me for my horrible accent, has dubbed it Cuida de Dios, City of God, right? The experience, walking the streets is like being in a spiritual Disneyland. Beyond the stickers that are everywhere of Christianity and the farming trucks and the commercial testimonies, um, there are vineyards and there are all kinds of stuff on every corner. This place, they could not grow crops. Their crops were failing and they cried out to God. And all of a sudden, their crops begin to produce ridiculous-sized fruit. They have cabbages that are being produced in this city now that are, I'm not exaggerating. They're the size of beach balls. The carrots are so big that people can hardly carry them in this city. And what took like 60 days or so for, for a cycle of the fruit cut down to 25 days. What used to take 60 days was taking 25, this city transformation. Did you guys? Oh, you've got that video? Well, I will talk to you in a little while. Unbelievable stuff. And there's so much more. Then there's like other cities. Shillong, India. A place in Fiji that I cannot pronounce. Another place in Brazil that I cannot pronounce. A place in, in I'm not going to try for your entertainment value. Yeah, let's laugh at that guy. Look at the goopy. <clears throat> there's a place in Scotland where there's revivals taking place. The, the village was falling apart. It was, it was uh, let's see here. Anyway, they've created some, like, lodging. Some of these places were so, they were broken, they were poor, they weren't going to have any industry. And all of a sudden, God converted it into a resort and, and through kingdom Christian-based people. So transformation is the goal. It wasn't just to win one person to the Lord. It's to win entire nations. He didn't say, um, win a few people to the Lord and I'll come back and I'll say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. He told us to disciple entire nations. We can't disciple nations by winning just one person at a time. What? Yes, we can. You know how long that would take? I mean, it's a great starting point. Don't get me wrong. But the goal is not one person at a time. The goal is for citywide transformation. The goal is for complete shifts in the atmosphere. I mean, from 2004 to 2011, city turned upside down. In seven years, the complete reputation of that city in Kentucky was turned upside down. And some of these others, in 20 years, from the, the brink of destruction of the city becoming completely wiped out to bustling farming community in 20 years. That is a miracle. Any ec economic, economic person or, or family uh, uh, plan, uh, city planners and stuff like that would come to you and say that it turned into a situation like that around in 20 years is absolutely a miracle. And then add on top of it that they're producing crops as fast as they are and the size that they are. And you should see the pictures of this, the cabbage and lettuces and stuff. I'm like, Un, um, it's ridiculous. You have to, we'll, we'll see it soon. But God wants to do this. Why can't he do it here? He did it in Cali, Columbia with 2.8 million people. Arlington's got about 370, 380. Let's go for Arlington. That's smaller. We can do that, God, right? All it starts is with us getting a different kind of mindset. Um, the gospel of salvation was escape the evils of the world. That was its mindset. Just let's get out of here. 
Let's go to heaven. If you want to know what the church thought, listen to the songs that were written. Great songs, man. I still sing a lot of them. But so many of them had this theme. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. All of it's about escaping. Jesus is coming soon. Let's get ready. Let's get out of here. He's going to rescue us. He's going to save us. And is that true? Yeah, I love the thought of Jesus coming back. When we get to see him and look at him and see what he really looks like. I mean, that's going to be awesome. But not at the expense of the entire world going to hell. It's not worth that. Not yet. A little more time, Lord. A little more time. A little more time, Lord. So so the church was like, dude, let's just get at it. We had an escapist mentality. Get us out of here. This is too scary. It's closing in on us, God. We crawled into a bunker as a church, and that's the gospel of salvation. The gospel of the kingdom is let's occupy with dominion until he comes. Let's take ground. Let's take authority. Let's, let's make some waves. Let's go down swinging. Let's do something. Let's not just sit here and wait, right? Oh. The uh, get out of here, escape while we can mentality is, is just bad end times thinking. Um, where we, we were trained that only a few people were going to make it to heaven. There was a remnant of people. And we also taught that things are going to get worse before they get better. And all that leads us to say, well, if it's going to get worse before it gets better, let me get out of here now. And that's totally the opposite. So we had separation from God. We had the gospel of salvation um, instead of the gospel of the kingdom. And we had an unbiblical view of work and ministry. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord because he's the rewarder. Guys, remember that. He's the rewarder. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. See, we kind of hit uh, on the compartmentalizing we've done of life, but we've said they're secular and they're sacred. And when we do that, when we separate secular and sacred and they don't ever cross, then what we do is we don't allow the kingdom power and the transformation authority that's in the church to ever bleed into the world systems. Because we're like, oh, we've got to be separate because if we hang out with them, we'll be just like them. Well, what happens if they hang out with us and they become like us? Yeah. Because last time I checked, darkness is a myth. Did you know darkness is a myth? Like, darkness isn't even real. It can only exist when light is not there. So it isn't even a real thing. Like, it has to have light not do what it's supposed to do for it to even be there. Yet we think that, oh, if we hang out with darkness, we're going to become... No, we are the light of the world. When we shine on other people, they're going to be connected to the Father. They're going to be attracted to the Father. It's just going to happen. So it's time for us to just wake up and get over ourselves and know that we're powerful, we can handle it. doesn't mean we go act stupid and try to do what everyone's doing. I mean, there's, you know, just, oh, I'm just going to go hang out at the bars because I can. Uh, come on. Some people, they've been called to do that, you know? But make sure God tells you to do that. But definitely, light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are powerful. You are equipped. <clears throat> we bought the lie that we could transform culture by just using the mountain of religion alone. We've had conferences and crusades and gatherings and small groups and discipleship programs and all these kinds of things to try to win the world through the mountain of religion. And there are six other realms that shape culture that we've completely abandoned. The church totally gave up on the music industry. Oh, that sounds too much like the rock and roll that Elvis is playing. We can't do that. And then we have, you know, different, oh, we can't have rap, Christian rap music. It sounds like the world's music. Music doesn't belong to the world. 
It belongs to God. Like Cal hit it so perfectly a couple weeks ago. It carries the message of the messenger on them. But music itself is not evil. Give me your notes. No. So what we've done is we've, like, we've totally given up. Well, we can't be in the art world because if we go to art schools, then we're going to become just like them and secular. And, if, and we can't do this. We can't go to business because it, how can I? My goal isn't to be a businessman. It's to be in ministry at a church. I want to be on staff. How stupid. First of all, you don't have a clue what you're asking for if you want to be on staff at a church. We need kingdom people owning businesses. I love it, the fact that our church, even though it's small, we have a lot of business owners in here. I love that because there's something that's going to happen in the future with that. It's another plan on the back burner. But we're going to begin to empower business people here and train them to make their businesses profit with kingdom mentality, kingdom stuff. Got Terrence in mind, right? It's going to be some cool stuff that God's going to do. But we've, we've been like, oh, no, we have to close ourselves in the church and we can only win the world through religion. And we've totally forgotten the media. We've given media away. We've given the school systems and education away. And, and, in, and instead of infiltrating the public school systems, and I'm not against this, we've started private schools and Christian schools. Oh, we just, we just can't handle the pressures. Look, I went to a Christian Bible college. Every one of my friends got kicked out of school. Every one of them. I'm not exaggerating. I'm like, my close friends that I hung out with, I didn't go where they went, but they were raised in a Christian family, spirit-filled people, they loved God, and every single one of them got kicked out of school for either drugs, alcohol, sleeping around, getting pregnant, whatever. And I was in an Assembly of God university. Pastor's friend of mine, she got kicked out of school because she got caught. She was the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? In a Christian school. So don't think, oh, we put them in a Christian school and we're going to... So we're trying to take our kids. No, that's what's happened, is we have... I think that's the problem. I think that's why that happens. Because we haven't challenged our teenagers and said, you know what, you're powerful. We don't need to just keep you over here by yourself and just hope you make it till we want to release you as arrows into the darkness. Come on. Right? I feel like teenagers need that challenge. I feel like we isolate them and insulate them from everything. They lose their purpose. And that's when we fall when we lose our identity and our purpose, that's when we mess up. But man, I, 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 and it's really hard for me to say this because my kids are starting to get into the school age. Josiah will be in first grade this next year. And when I hear, my thing isn't about the people in the school, the kids. My thing is, what are they teaching them in the school? That's where I get frustrated, right? But if I take Josiah out of it, I take his identity away from him. Because Josiah is a soul winner. You should have seen him on the treasure hunt. He was telling me, Daddy, we haven't prayed for enough people. We can't go home yet. I'm like, buddy, we got to go back to the church. Everyone's going to meet back. We're going to hear the test. No, we haven't prayed for enough people tonight, Dad. It was so sweet. And so I wish I had a video camera of it. I was like, this is so awesome. This is my six-year-old son telling me, Daddy, we haven't prayed for enough people. We haven't talked to enough people. Come on. Let's go do this. He was so energized by doing what he was called to do. And we've taken our kids and we've put them in private. And I'm, I'm not against that. If you feel like that's what you're supposed to do, then do it because it's faith for you and God honors faith, right? When we do things out of faith, God honors it. But we've insulated them, we've taken their identity, and we've done it to ourselves. We only want to hang around with this kind of people, and we only want to do this with this kind of... We don't eat lunch. Well, I don't want to eat lunch with them because I'm afraid of what people will think if they see me with them. Who cares? What's worse, eating with people that need Jesus or talking about people that eat with people that need Jesus? <laughs> 
Did I say that right? Yeah. I was retracted through my head. Which is worse, judging someone else or attempting to do what you're called to do? And it's a big deal. It's a big deal that we get out of the church. We get in the church and get equipped, and then we get out of there. Get out of there. You're, you're, you got your AK-47, your spiritual weapons. Now go out and do some damage. Get in your prayer closet, pull down strongholds, destroy enemies, and then tell people that Jesus loves them, that God loves them, that he cares, that he's even thinking about them today, that he's thought about them every second of every second ever. Think about that. Anyway. So how can we reclaim these mountains? These are keys for us to pray. These are what we're supposed to do in our prayer closet, that we pray these things and we demonstrate them, all right? Number one, his presence is the ultimate key. We've got to have his presence. We've got to be close to him. Number two, there must be repentance. That doesn't mean we confess what we did wrong. It means that we turn the other direction, right? Confession's part of it, but it's only the first part. Repentance is completely seeing things from a different perspective, from God's perspective. Then we stand against evil principalities and powers, right? We stand against them. We don't partner with them. We don't agree with them. We don't, we're not afraid of them. We stand against them. Then when we stand against them, then we start praying and interceding and we displace them. We tell them that they're not the ones that are supposed to have the power and the authority. That, that God gave all power and authority to Jesus and that they're just operating for a temporary, they're on a temporary license, right? And they're fixing to get it taken away from them. That's how we pray. You're there for a little bit. You think you're there for a while, but you're not. Get out of that so that there's, there's a, an open heaven, right? So we restore the uh, principalities with godly powers and authorities, which creates an open heaven, which makes it easy for people to access God. We're supposed to make it easy for people to connect to God, not harder for them. Did you hear that? We're not supposed to make up, oh, before you, get, before you really can get right with God, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and if you do all of those things, then you can be close to God. And you know what? If Jesus came to us and we were doing that, this is what he would say, just like he said in the Bible. Woe to you who shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You hear that? That's pretty. By all our rules, we just shut the kingdom. We just need to tell people, hey, it's... We're supposed to make it easy for him to connect to God, right? Then transform the earth until it looks like heaven. Uh, let's close out everything real quick with this next thing. How has God transformed cultures in the past? When God wanted to influence a nation, he would always place his servant, and that should say near, not neat. He placed his servants near the mountains of influence. There's the examples, the person, the nation, the leader of the nation, the result. Moses was in the nation of Egypt. The leader was Pharaoh. He was not godly, but God moved Moses into a, a relationship with Pharaoh so that he can bring deliverance and birth a nation from him. Nehemiah was in Babylon. The king was Artaxerxes. He brought Nehemiah to a place of authority and to a place of favor with this king so that he built, rebuilt the wall in 52 days or 51 days, whatever it was, that they said, oh, you couldn't do it. And they were laughing at him the whole time. But because he had authority and because he was raised up in a place of authority with these, these leaders in this nation, he did something that God wanted to be done. Daniel, my favorite, favorite story. I love the story of Daniel. It's just, I love it about honor. He was in the, the nation of Babylon, and there was four different kings that he served. We just have the last one on there. But he, every king that he got, he got close to and gained favor with, he won him over towards the Lord. And, and think about Nebuchadnezzar, King Neb. I like how they say that, King Neb. 
he caused him to say, this man is serving the true God. And if you worship any other gods in this nation from this day forward, then you're in trouble because this is the only God. From the most wicked kingdom on the face of the earth to this God is the only God that's real. Daniel did that, and he saved an entire nation. Then you have Esther, beautiful Esther, who wins a beauty pageant she probably didn't even want to be in. I would love to see the real version of this story. We've, we've made it really cute and pretty and Snow Whitey and Cinderella story. But in Persia, King, I don't even want to try to say that name, King Aha, right? She wins his heart. And then she uses the favor that God gave her with that king to say, hey, they're trying to kill my people. What are you going to do about this? Oh, I'll make sure it doesn't happen. And the very gallows that Haman created, he's going to hang on himself. Think of these stories. Always happens when God wants to shift a nation. He will raise people. He will exalt people to a place of authority with these nations. Right? And then he will give them influence and they'll begin to shift a nation. So real quick, let's end with this. These are names of God to, to represent his desire to influence these mountains. You've got the arts and entertainment. He's the potter and he's the creator. He's the, the most creative person around, right? Business, he's Jehovah Jireh. Education, he's the great teacher. Family, he's the father, the father. The government, he's the king of kings. Media, he's the living word. Religion, he's the way, the truth, the life. So what we need to do is pray that God will step into those roles in those areas, that we can take back the, the influence on our country so we can shape culture and shift culture. In the last 70 years, our country has been slowly veering away from godly values and principles, and it's because we've given up those seven mountains. You can, go, you can find it so easy. Go back and you can find, there are, there are dates that I found in my research that go directly with these mountains, every one of them. Where we handed authority over. We gave up our place as a church and said, oh, just give us the religious mountain. We'll be happy with it. No, I want all seven mountains. So, what does that have to do with intercession? There's homework for us. Something for us to pray about. This is going on. Let's just partner with what people around the world that know more about this, that have been sowing it. Let's jump in with them. Yeah? You know what's pretty cool about the kingdom? You can... Start working at 8 a.m. in the day and get a salary. Or you can start working at 4 p.m. in the afternoon and you get paid the same salary. Did you guys know that? That's the kingdom. It's going to be like that. There are going to be people that have sown into this for years. And there's going to be someone that all of a sudden the light comes on. They're like, whoa, why have I missed that? They're going to jump in in the very last second and get the same reward as the people that sowed all those years. I think that's pretty cool. I don't, I don't think it's unfair. I think it's very cool. And so some great men and women of God have been sowing into these things, and I just want to jump in with them. I want to jump in and partner with them. How many want to say yes to that? Now, this is our calling as people of God. Pray and intercede. Seven mountains are our target. It's a big deal. You're going to hear a lot more about this in the future as we, as we continue this, but seven mountains are a big deal. What can you do to infiltrate the mountain? Where are you at? What can you do? So, Lord, I thank you very much for, for um, giving us the authority to act the way you want us to, to be your kingdom, to be people of transformation, not just people of one at a time. God, I would ask that you would help us as a church to continue to press into our calling as a place of prayer, as a house of prayer. I ask that you would continue to teach us what it means to intercede. I ask that you would help us to not abandon our birthright in this area, but that we will take hold of it.
this is our identity and that we'll just yield to it, Lord. I ask that you'd raise up people of prayer and intercession in this house. I ask that it would be stirred up even more so than ever before right now, Lord. I ask that as we go home, as we're, as we're driving in our cars, we're eating lunch tomorrow, whatever it is that you would begin to burden us and give us a passion to begin to pray and call things that are not as though they are. That we'll begin to use the voice that you gave us to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I ask that you give us a resolve that says, we will not quit until every person knows you. That's the goal. Nothing short will be okay for us. That every person comes to know you. That's the goal. In Jesus' name, amen.